Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hey, it's me here on a regular news episode. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> weird to have you here, Jacob, but welcome. Uh, and I'm also joined by writers Huai Tranbui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Um, okay, so some some quick uh, tidying up. Uh, on Monday's episode of the podcast, we were having this conversation about the status of Tomb Raider 2, which may or may not still have been Wheatley attached to direct that movie. And this morning, uh, MGM officially removed Tomb Raider 2 from its release calendar. So I just wanted to give that sort of official update in case anybody was listening to our episode on Monday and wondering about that. Uh, okay, so let's dive into today's news. HT, tell us about a live-action Assassin's Creed show that's in the works. You know, second time's the charm. So Netflix has struck a deal with Ubisoft. Is that how you say it? I don't know. I, I think so. <laughs> Ubisoft to develop... It is indeed Ubisoft. People tend to say Ubisoft, but it is Ubi. Okay, that sounds uh, equally geeky, but oh well. Um, So Netflix has struck a deal with Ubisoft to develop live-action animated and anime series based on the international best-selling video game franchise Assassin's Creed. And first up is a live-action Assassin's Creed TV series. The series is described as an epic genre-bending live-action adaptation and will be executive produced by Ubisoft's Film and Television's Jason Altman and Daniel Krynick and is currently on the hunt for a showrunner. Uh, a logo has been shared by Netflix's Twitter account, and that is all we know so far. Uh, okay, so HJ, have you played any Assassin's Creed games? Do you know anything about this world? I have not, and I know nothing except for the 2016 film starring Michael Fassbender, which I also did not see. But yeah, I heard, I it, was heard so it was bad. bad. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see it either. Um, Jacob, I have to assume that you've played some Assassin's Creed. Am I right there? I played them until I stopped. Uh, <laughs> the problem with the Assassin's Creed games is they became they annualized the franchise, which is a good way to kill your popular video game series. They started releasing them every single year, like run after the other, which meant that. It got very tiresome very quickly because they try to present these as you know these fifty to hundred hour games. They're all consuming, and then like 
12 months later, here's another one. And there's not enough time to do, to add to or make any special changes. And in recent years, they've, they've dialed back. They start having longer breaks between games. But for a good five, six, seven year period, they were releasing these things once per year. And I was so fundamentally over Assassin's Creed in a way that broke me. Uh, and I'm just now warped to the idea of maybe picking up one again in the future. So I'm the target audience for this. And even I'm like, I, I can't be bothered because I'm so, <laughs> they burnt me out so hard on Assassin's Creed. They hurt me very badly. The idea of the movie and Michael Fassbender being involved, it seemed like a home run in the works. And the movie, uh, I mean, like we said, I, I didn't even see it, but um, the, you know, the reception to it was pretty bad. Chris, did you see the Assassin's Creed film? I didn't. I saw the trailer and I also saw uh, Macbeth, which has the same director and many of the same cast members. And that wasn't very good. So I, I figured if if that director couldn't nail Shakespeare, he probably can't nail Assassin's Creed either. So. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our next item, which is that Jon Stewart is coming back to television. So the, he used to host The Daily Show and was you know a major, major force in the American uh, political news conversation uh, for years and years and years. And uh, I think in 2015, he stepped back from that show and sort of transitioned full time into directing um, movies. And now he is coming back to television. He has signed an expansive multi-year deal with Apple, and he is going to be the host of a new current affairs show on Apple TV Plus, which is already set to run for multiple seasons. We don't know anything about a title or anything like that, but the show is supposed to explore uh, single issue topics. It's going to be an hour long and um, it's going to involve some of his uh, advocacy work over the years and things that he's just interested in. They're, they're developing a companion podcast to uh, continue the discussion alongside this show. So this is a very, very big deal for, you know, people who grew up uh, in that generation where, um, you know, the daily show on, on comedy central was like a, you know, a source of razor sharp pol- uh, political commentary and, and really, um, you know, I guess served as like an awakening, uh, like a flashpoint for a, a lot of people. Um, Chris, you're like a couple years older than me. I think I wonder what your relationship was to the daily show. Was this a big deal for you when it was on, when John Stewart was hosting? You know, it was a big deal and it was sort of like, uh, I hate to say important because I feel like it, it's not as important as a lot of people remember it being, but it did feel like, you know, this very big deal. And it was, for a while there, it felt like the daily show was doing like news better than the actual news. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. it was a comedy show and yes, they were poking fun at things, but they did a better job at reporting stuff than the real news. And then Jon Stewart left and it sort of was just like, well, that's over. And I I, I like, (laughs) I kind of forget that the show is still on right now. Every once in a while, I'll see like a tweet about the show being still on. I'll be like, Oh wow. And it does feel weird how, it felt like this really big, important show. And then the minute Jon Stewart left, everyone just sort of like gave up like, yeah, who cares? And you know, that's something against Trevor Noah. Like I've seen clips of Trevor Noah and I think he's actually quite good at, you know, his own style of hosting that show. But it, it really felt like the show just stopped being this influential voice. The minute Jon Stewart left, which is always just very weird. Yeah. And, you know, he made two movies over the past six years, uh, Rosewater in 2014 and then Irresistible, which came out earlier this year. And neither of those movies were super well received. So I have to imagine that that 
factored at least in some part into his decision to come back into his wheelhouse with a, a new show that will sort of speak directly to the same people that, um, you know, that he was talking to for so many years behind the the table at uh, the daily show. So um, I, I imagine this is going to be a big deal for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm just curious, like how, you know, if he still has it, uh, quote unquote, if, he's, if he has that X factor that he once had, and if Apple TV plus, which is, you know, it, Apple is obviously a massive, massive company, but that streaming service is still, it feels anyway, like still like a, a relatively niche kind of service in this grand ecosystem of the streaming wars and all that kind of stuff. If he'll be able to get enough of a foothold on that streaming platform to really um, drive conversation in, in a way that he used to on, you know, a, an easily accessible uh, place like Comedy Central. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And we'll, we'll keep you guys posted when we hear more uh, details about that show. Uh, speaking of Apple TV+, Plus, I just wanted to mention really briefly that Ted Lasso Season 3 has been confirmed, which is really terrific news. Um, the second season was was uh, ordered back in August, and there were some rumors that a third season might be in the works as well. And now uh, Apple has made that official. So uh, season two hasn't even started filming yet. They start filming in January of 2021. And now we know that a season three is confirmed. So that's really great news for you know the storytelling and and the um, screenwriting and stuff like being able to craft a, a you know narrative arcs that last multiple seasons and all that stuff. So uh, I'm I'm really happy about this. I love Ted La uh, Ted Lasso. I think it's like one of my favorite things pieces of media that I'm that I've have consumed in the year 2020. And uh, I encourage everybody listening to this to watch the show. Speaking of the third installment of things. How about wow, that, that was transition. Yeah, very oh, good, yeah. Ben. Very good. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about The Conjuring 3. Chris, tell us um, how this new sequel is going to sort of break away from what we may have uh, come to expect from this horror franchise. Right. So The Conjuring 3, which is, is called The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, was supposed to come out uh, this year. I think it was supposed to come out in September, but of course... It got pushed to June of 2021 because of the coronavirus. But there's there uh, there was a new featurette that came out, and it was mostly about the Conjuring universe as a whole. But it had some insight into the third film, and uh, the third film is, is bucking the tradition uh, of of the main Conjuring franchise in that it's not going to be about a haunted house like the first two movies were about you know haunted houses, um, and this one is about. Uh, um, uh, it's a true story. You know, technically, they're all supposed to be "quote unquote" true stories, but they they take lots and lots and lots of uh, creative license. But this one is telling the true story of Arnie Johnson, and I I kind of have uh, some qualms about this. So Arnie Johnson was this this guy who uh, committed a murder, and he got convicted of that murder, uh, and he went to jail for it. He's at, he's out of jail now. He went to jail for like ten. 10 years and he's out now, but you know, his, his defense and was that, you know, uh, a demonic possession made him commit the murder. And, you know, that was a real defense he tried to use in court. And the problem I have with this is up until now, the conjuring movies, even though they're claiming they're based on true stories, they're, you know, they're telling relatively harmless stories. Like, yes, people get terrorized, but no one's getting murdered in them. And then, now they're doing this movie where they're kind of like backing up this guy's defense and uh, you know, not to get controversial here, but there there's, there's no such thing as demonic possession. It's, it's not a real thing. You you don't really get possessed by the devil How and kill people. Know, Chris? I'm, I, uh, 
I am 99.9% sure it's, it's not real. So the, it kind of bugs me a little bit because even in this featurette, the real Arnie Johnson, the real guy who killed someone is interviewed and he's like telling the story and it just, it kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit because it's really just sort of like backing up this guy's uh, outlandish claims. Now, you know, to be, to be fair, I haven't seen the movie yet. No one's seen the movie yet. So maybe they do find a tactful way of addressing this, but uh, it, it's it, that's sort of like the the problem with the Conjuring franchise as a whole. You know, I love the franchise. I, I love the films. Most of the films, some of them are terrible, but I like most of them. And I really like the way they portray um, Ed and, and the Rain Warren. You know, the the real life ghost hunters at the heart of the story. But you know, the Warrens in the movies are these really loving, nice, helpful people. And, you know, uh, the, the real Warrens, you know, while I'm sure they believed in what they were doing there, there's lots of proof that they were, uh, for lack of a better word, con artists. And up until now, that's been fine. It's been fine to go along with the con that yes, they were fighting ghosts, but, uh, <laughs> to, to as suddenly soon as they bring real, th- yeah, real as soon as they bring like, a, a, yeah, as soon as they bring a real murder into the thing it's it's kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth and so you know i'm gonna see the movie i'm you know i'm in the tank for this franchise i'm gonna watch whatever they put out but i gotta say i'm a little bugged by this and uh i don't know i don't know if i'm overreacting there or what but that's that's how i feel about it well jacob i know you're also a big fan of this franchise what do you make of this uh new sort of evolution of the conjuring into real world events I'm happy for more Conjuring, but I share Chris's hesitations here. I think you start mucking about with some with some, with some concepts that I maybe shouldn't be mucked with. I think maybe a better direction would have been after the quasi based on a true story first two movies to go in a fictionalized direction and avoid this altogether. But you know what? I'm not the director of The Curse of the Algerona, which is who's making this one. So I'm not the one making increasingly poor decisions with my horror movies. <laughs> um, do either of you, I'm just curious, do either of you have an idea of like, where you would like to see this franchise go because as you mentioned chris the first two movies are haunted house stories they've done a lot of like sort of contained uh haunted house stuff in the past would either of you are you guys like okay with them continuing that sort of contained level of storytelling or do you have an idea for a way that they could open it up and expand the world in a way that wouldn't necessarily draw in you know uh <laughs> wouldn't necessarily back up a, a convicted murderer's story in a in a potentially controversial way yeah i don't know i kind of wish they would just stick with the, the haunted house stuff i will say that um annabelle comes home which was so much better than i thought it was going to be because the annabelle franchise is kind of wishy-washy sets up like a lot of cool stuff that i want them to do more with and they haven't really done it yet so I don't know if they're waiting for that. You know, obviously everyone's waiting right now to, to do certain things, but uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I, you know, even though this new movie does still, still deal with the supernatural in theory, I would rather they stick to the, uh, the obviously fictional supernatural. Like you can slap based on a true story on it all you want. That's fine. But I'd rather they stick with, you know, ghosts you know the things that go bump in the night rather than you know a guy who murdered someone and tried yeah. to get away with that murder by saying he was possessed i see okay uh all right ht let's move to our next story and that is about why the last man a tv show is this thing actually happening ht apparently and according to uh new showrunner um 
uh, Eliza Clark, they have begun filming Why the Last Man after years of production delays and the loss of their original star, Barry Keoghan. And uh, Keoghan had actually starred in the pilot, which was shot and finished, and um, used a real monkey, which had uh, attracted the ire of PETA, which pushed why the last man's crew to use a CGI monkey from then on, which um, FX and why the last man have conceded to. So why the last man is moving forward amid coronavirus um, precautions or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Amid coronavirus precautions uh, without a real monkey uh, to begin filming. Finally. Uh, HG, have you read why the last man? I have not. It is tremendous, and I think you would really like it a lot. Uh, Jacob, I have to assume that you've read this, right? Yeah, it is It is a wow. It is one of the best pieces of comics writing and art I've ever encountered. Maybe there's some elements that may be a bit out of date in 2020, but the overall thing is tremendous. And uh, I've never sobbed harder than I have the final issue of Why the Last Man oh, HD. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. Chris, did you read this comic by any chance? Uh, no, I know what happens. I you know I know the story. I just never got around to reading it. I think it's because Man. I know it's over now. But I have this thing where I don't like to start comics that are like ongoing. And like when I oh, first, yeah. when I first heard of it, heard about this, it was still running, and I was like, oh, I'll get around to reading that when it finished. And I've just never actually gotten around to reading it. Man, it's it's so good. Um, Jacob, what do you think about the idea of a, a live action versus a CG monkey to play ampersand? If the, if the technology is there, then you know, a CGI monkey gives you the advantage of not having to wait around for a monkey to perform. I mean, it's going to cost you more money, but this is FX, their prestige network. Uh, I can't speak to animal cruelty on film sets or to PETA's message here. PETA, I think, is often often directs your energies in the wrong way on the wrong targets, so I can't speak to that. But I, I do think that if, if it's better for the production and it involves, you know, a monkey not... A monkey being treated better, then, you know... Go for it. I, I, I can't speak professionally on this other than saying that the monkey character, whose name is Ampersand, is incredibly important to the narrative. And to cut him in any way out of the story would be a huge mistake. My main concern would be this would be a Game of Thrones Dire World situation where they, the Dire Worlds eventually vanish from Game of Thrones for budget reasons. <laughs> Whereas if they're going to commit to the CGI monkey, commit to it because he's as important as anybody in the entire uh, story. I will say, um, in to, unfortunately, that same Dire World situation has happened with uh, His Dark Materials and HBO, which also, you know, you would think has a lot of money uh, with Game of Thrones as well. Um, but the demons, which are the the animal soul companions of all the human characters in is not dark materials are supposed to be there all the time. And you can, you really notice when they're on screen for like a couple seconds to show that they exist and then they disappear for the rest of the episode. Uh, okay, so let's jump into our, our final story of the day, and that is about The Suicide Squad, the new movie from uh, writer-director James Gunn. And uh, Jacob, we're having you on to, to talk about a story that Brad wrote about how James Gunn had the freedom to, uh, to do something specific in this movie. Um, and I just wondered if you could talk us through that. Yeah, this is from Empire. They, have, they debuted a few new images from the film, which is, you know, a sequel to the David Ayer film from a few years ago, but seems to be using that as more of a a jump start, and it happened, but it's not directly important <laughs> to plot this one. James Gunn appears to have a lot of freedom with this film, and he confirmed that to uh, Empire by saying that he was very much allowed to do his own thing. I'm just going to go ahead and read his full quote, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. So this is James Gunn speaking about the Suicide Squad. I think you know from pretty close to the beginning 
that all the Guardians, meaning his film Guardians of the Galaxy, are good, apart from Nebula, who's the outlier. But in the Suicide Squad, some of the characters end up being good, some end up being terrible. They don't get in the, they don't just get in fights and say they're going to kill each other. They actually do get in fights and kill each other. You really don't know who's going to live and who's going to die. I was given full freedom to kill anyone, and I mean anyone, by DC. So I, I love this. I love that he has filled up this giant roster full of uh, B and C tier supervillains. Has acknowledged, yes, they're villains. They're bad people. Some of them may have hearts of gold and some don't. And I was allowed to kill anyone I wanted. And the Suicide Squad, the first film, had a lot of problems, but it has the very traditional ending of, look at all these villains, these convicts, these murderers, all deciding, let's do the right thing after all. And I love that James Gunn comes out and straight up says, nope, not everybody on my team is like that, and I'm going to kill them. I love this. So I have two questions, Jacob. Um, The first one is, uh, he seems to indicate here that there's going to be some uh, some murder within the ranks. Like, do you think that that's actually what he's really saying? That like some people are going to like turn on each other and actually, you know, Idris Elba could kill Polka Dot Man or whatever. I'm sorry, HD. I know you don't want po- Polka Dot Man to Polka die Dot or Man anything. Polka Dot Man will survive in my heart. <laughs> um, do you think that that's a possibility, Jacob? Yeah, I think Gunn pretty much confirms it here. I mean, when you, there, there are over a dozen characters on this Suicide Squad, and they're all they're all you know, criminals are all bad guys and some are genuinely terrible people, as Gunn says. Some of them aren't going to play nice. And I imagine that we'll see those ones who don't play nice get beaten down pretty quickly by, you know, the, the bigger named characters. In fact, I would not be surprised if certain characters, like I'm looking at the one put by Nathan Fillion and Pete Davidson. I'm like, you die first, don't you? You show up with a recognizable face and you die quickly and first badly at the hands of somebody else, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and then the second question is uh, in regards to the last thing he said, I was given full freedom to kill anyone. And I mean, anyone by DC. And there are some big people in this movie. I think uh, Margot Robbie's um, Harley Quinn is in this movie. Do you think that somebody like James Gunn, who, you know, is from this trauma uh, background and really like, you know, has this sense of like, um, of uh, mischievous filmmaking in-, in him. Do you think that he would, uh, have been able to talk his way through to the DC executives. Hey, let me kill, you know, one of your major franchise players here. Do you think that like Harley Quinn is actually on the table as a potential uh, murder victim in this movie or some of the other folks who, you know, have, uh, uh, I guess, other appearances lined up in, in future DC uh extended universe properties do you think that there's a chance that james gunn kills any of them uh the answer to the question about uh margot robbie no (laughs) harley quinn is very very safe i feel like this statement has an asterisk on it i think that gunn is being very open and honest about the level of freedom he's given for everybody else and i think that's more applies the idea that characters played by john cena and uh, idris elba people who are recognizable performers they are doomed they're the ones he can kill I don't think James Gunn would even ask to kill Harley Quinn because, quite frankly, who wants to see Harley Quinn die? Who who would benefit in terms of viewers in a film universe from watching that character bite the dust? The answer is absolutely no one. But literally everybody else in the movie, anybody else, I think. <laughs> yeah, it would definitely it. be something that would get people talking. And that's the only reason that I'm, I'm sort of uh, even entertaining the idea is just like I feel like he has an opportunity here to do something really huge within this, you know, clearly, um, you know, sort of off the beaten track kind of story that he's telling. And I wonder if, uh, 
if he's going to just take advantage of that opportunity. <laughs> like, obviously, like Batman's not going to swing in and then, you know, Polka Dot Man's not going to kill Batman or anything. But um, <laughs> I just wonder within the uh, the confines of these characters that he's allowed to play with, uh, how big he's going to go with these deaths here. Because that seems to be like what a lot of this, um, the, the early uh, press around this movie uh, seems to be circling around. So uh, I suppose we'll have to wait and see because that movie doesn't come out until, geez, when does this film come out? I think it was bumped um, until next year and it's supposed to come out in uh, uh, August, August. 6, 2021. Okay. All right. So yes, we'll have to see and, and wait about that. But you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published three times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys on Friday.